This is the new way we work from Fast Company Magazine, where we take listeners on a journey through the changing landscape of our work lives and explain exactly what we need to build the future we want. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor Kathleen Davis. In the past few years, inflation has hit nearly every aspect of American life, but one place has felt especially painful, housing. The affordable housing crisis has gotten increasingly worse as home prices and mortgage interest rates have reached the highest levels in a generation. In fact, according to the U.S. Census data, home prices have increased 118% since 1965, while household income has only increased by 15%. And it's no better for renters. The last decade alone has seen rent outpace inflation by over 40%. While some white-collar workers were able to move to more affordable locations with the introduction of remote work, Those who have in-person jobs tied to their locations, often in the notoriously low-paid service industry, have found themselves unable to afford to live near their jobs, especially in cities with high cost of living like New York, San Francisco, LA, and others, while those working in popular tourist destinations like the Hamptons or ski towns in Colorado face the same crunch. Fast Company writer Pavithra Mohan has been gathering stories from people across the country in a variety of jobs in a series of stories of people who can't afford to live where they work. Pavithra, who have you spoken to so far? So I've spoken to a few workers so far, including a local worker in the Hamptons and a ski patroller in Colorado. And most recently, I talked to a woman who lives in Las Vegas, Roselia Baccarino, who works for Italy as a cook. She's one of many folks who work in the hospitality and hotel industry with really stagnant, low wages and often in places where the cost of living is quite high. She spoke with us via a translator from the Culinary Workers Union, a labor affiliate of the national union Unite Here, which has more than 300,000 members across the country. Pues prácticamente digamos que sí, porque andamos pagando que, por ejemplo, dos recámaras pagamos... 800 And I should mention that even though Rosalia came to us through the Culinary Workers Union, she's not actually a union member herself. So her wages are currently $17.38 per hour, 40 hours a week, and her health care comes out of her paycheck, so her actual hourly wage ends up being lower. She also said that her rent happens to be lower than the typical going rate for rent because she's renting from a friend that's practically like family. And so it would be impossible for somebody like her to find rent that cheap again. And what kind of commute does she have? She drives to work, so it really depends on traffic. There's traffic. My commute is usually around 45 minutes a trip, but if there's no traffic, it's 25 minutes to get to work. And I do have a car and I pay car insurance. So Rosalia's daughter actually works at Italy as well, but she's putting that money towards school. So she ends up actually supporting her entire family, which includes her mother as well, with her wages from Italy. And they don't have a lot of emergency savings, so any medical emergency or any other sudden costs would be a huge financial stress for them. And Las Vegas is one of those cities that's really expensive. Is it feasible for her or has she considered moving somewhere else? 
You know, I think moving somewhere else is is not really something she's considered. But at the moment, she also feels like she should stay put because they are close to unionizing. She's kind of holding out hope for that and really hopes that it'll make her situation better. Sí lo he pensado porque pues la verdad que um, nos presionan demasiado. Uh, a veces no nos tienen el respeto debido porque nuestro trabajo pues es con cliente, ¿no? So I have thought about it. You know, they put a lot of pressure on us. They don't respect us. They don't respect our rights. I am a cook, but sometimes I have to do prep. I have to take care of the clients. If we do something wrong, if we get an order wrong, they scream at us. I've even said at those points that no more I'm done with this. They give us too much work, but I tolerate it and I hang in there because I know that the union is coming. I would have to start over my seniority if I went somewhere else. But I'm hanging in there until the union comes. But if not, I would look for another job. So I think we sort of assume places like Las Vegas are going to be expensive and that the cost of living is high. But this issue also extends to people who live in areas that you might not typically think of. So one example is Emma Donharl, who is a ski patroller in Durango, Colorado, where she works at Purgatory Ski Resort. And this is one of those expensive mountain towns that I feel like we've slowly started to hear more about. But I think people often overlook them when they're thinking of places that are typically expensive or have a high cost of living. She pointed out that even in a town like Durango, it's really hard to afford housing. You know, mountain towns have never been, like, cheap to live in. You know, they have to ship everything in and gas prices are always higher. But living my entire life in the Southwest, it's been wild, especially, I'd say, like in the last five years, watching food prices increase, gas prices increase, and then housing prices. It's almost impossible to find affordable housing in Durango right now. A lot of everything going remote really incentivized people to come in. The Airbnb vacation rental booming has taken away pretty much all of our affordable housing. I have multiple friends that I know were asked to leave their place for it to be able to be turned into a vacation rental. So Emma is currently making $19.50 an hour, and she says rent in the area is typically around $750 to $1,000 a month for just a single room in a shared space. And about five years ago, it was something like $300 to $500. She has looked at other towns where she could do similar work, such as Aztec in New Mexico, but it's just not that much cheaper there, and it would be obviously a huge lifestyle change for her to up and move. This is also seasonal work, which is a little harder to organize, but Emma's actually been involved with unionizing, and last year the Purgatory Ski Patrol actually successfully negotiated a contract. The only concept of unions that I had before this point was like the coal mine. Like the mining unions. So I had no idea. Like I knew that they gave a voice to the people to be able to like argue against the company, but I didn't know exactly what it entailed and what it looked like and really how it would serve us. Everyone kind of started talking about it. And this was around the same time that Park City was in their negotiations with Vail, their 49th attempt to agree on a contract, and they were beginning their strike fund. And so this was happening as we were, you know, attempting to unionize. And I think that really kind of brought like a stark realization. This is really our way to combat these low wages. Even though Emma got about a $5 pay raise after unionizing, 
it didn't really change things as much as she had hoped for. You know, when I saw how much I was going to be making, I was absolutely ecstatic. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm making so much money now. But I don't think I I fully understood, like, what being an adult was like. Like, I kept my costs really, really super low, but now I make too much and I have to get health insurance and dental insurance and there's all of these things that like you know the bills just keep kind of getting bigger and higher and higher and I had kind of given myself like this false horizon of like what my budget was going to be and how much I was going to be able to fluctuate and I would say you know it's not necessarily as tight as it was before but I'm still paycheck to paycheck. So it seems like in both of these examples, part of their solution came in organizing. And we've obviously, we've covered that a lot. And, and we've talked about that as kind of a solution to labor issues, but it's it's not a silver bullet, right? Like it's not the end all be all to this issue of affordability. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these contracts take a while to negotiate, and that's assuming you have a successful union election in the first place. And I think also when you're starting from this place of depressed wages to begin with, it takes a while for you to actually get enough cost of living increases and negotiate enough raises through you know several iterations of the contract for you to be able to earn the kind of salary that, that you might deserve in this sort of a position. And then, yeah, to your point about commute times and what kind of happens when people are not able to afford to live in these towns. I think the Hamptons worker that I spoke with was telling me how it's just not feasible to do long commutes in the Hamptons. And I think that's probably true of a lot of these areas. And so, you know, we'll just start to see that there's a exodus from these kinds of towns and that they don't have enough people to work in these jobs. I feel like that's kind of the ultimate end point of this issue. Yeah, when you talk about the wage increases that they're negotiating for, they're getting, there's still a giant chasm between the affordability and the wage increase. You know, I said at the top of the show, like if housing prices have gone up 118%, nobody's negotiating 118% pay raise. Right. And the best you can hope for is a 3%, a 4%, a 5%. Mm-hmm. And that's still not getting you anywhere near to the cost of living in these really unaffordable places. And you know, for some service jobs, maybe, yes, you can find another service job in another town that's less expensive. But for these tourist jobs, for these, you know, who's going to be a ski patroller? Like, you have to be a ski yeah. patroller in a ski town. Mm-hmm. And as you said, like commuting further and further and further, if you're commuting two hours each way, that's obviously not sustainable and obviously not worth it. Yeah, right. And that was something I was trying to get at with this series is, yeah, there are a lot of jobs where there's really only one place to do the job. And I think if you were to consider leaving the town or leaving the industry, what are your other options? I mean, is it going to be another low-wage job? You know, I think that's another real consideration for people who think about what their other options might be and whether they could do something else or could live elsewhere. So yeah, I, I don't know. It's a housing issue. It's a labor issue. There's so many components to this. Yeah. And then there's just a breaking point for the industry then. How does a ski resort manage to stay open if mm-hmm. if the people who work there can't afford to work there, then, you know, that's not a replaceable job. You have to meet somewhere in the middle and come up with an affordable, as you said, like it's it's not a one solution. There's, you have to solve the affordable housing. You have to solve wages. You have to solve cost of living in these very, very desirable places. Right. And it's all connected because one of the issues in a town like Durango is that 
there are all of these vacation rentals and Airbnbs. Mm -hmm. And so you have these people coming in seemingly to go to the ski resort. And they are the very people who are kind of pushing out people like Emma. And so I think, again, it's something that these industries are just going to have to reckon with at some point. But I think it really speaks to sort of the scale of this issue. Yeah. And this is an ongoing series that we're going to keep returning to because, as you point out, it's not just the Hamptons. It's not just ski resorts. It's not just Las Vegas. It's increasingly so many places throughout the country. Yeah, absolutely. And that's all for this episode. You can read more about both of the women featured in this episode, along with others in the series, including a worker in the Hamptons, on fastcompany.com. And if you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to The New Way We Work wherever you listen. And if you like this episode, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And we want to hear from you. Work is changing every day. What's the most pressing issue on your mind? Email us at podcast at fastcompany.com or tweet us with the hashtag The New Way We Work. The New Way We Work is produced by Joshua Christensen and Julia Shu with an editing by Nicholas Torres. 